You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AMs, The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is Canada's oil and gas emissions cap has arrived, plus COP28 in Dubai and Canada's role to play in addressing climate change. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure to be here and uh, great to be back as well. Welcome back. We definitely missed you, Margreta, and you're coming at a time where there's a lot that we need you to cover. So right off the bat, Margreta, this morning we have just seen details on the long-anticipated federal emissions cap for oil and gas industries. Why is the government going in this direction? Well, it has indeed been anticipated for quite some time, and the government did take its time developing the framework. Uh, But of course, I should be clear that that anticipation was with some trepidation by those whose businesses are facing these caps uh, and decision makers, policy leaders, and provinces that uh, rely on oil and gas uh, who are worried about the impacts. Um, those will all have to contend with uh, paying to meet the caps. And realistically, if the final form of the policy, what we're seeing now, is uh, essentially a draft, uh, it'll be open for review until February. Um, but if the final po- policy form uh, is one where the costs of implementation can't be borne as part of a viable business model for those who produce oil and gas, then inevitably we would lose investment and economic activity. And that seems to be a trade-off that, to some extent, the federal government wants to make. Uh, but here are the broad strokes, uh, just to give you a sense of why this is happening. Uh, Canada is an energy-producing nation. We do that in a number of ways. Uh, many of our provinces produce hydroelectricity and nuclear energy. Um, almost all of that is, you know, electricity for the uh, domestic consumption market. Uh, and very importantly to this, many provinces, especially in Western Canada, also produce oil and natural gas products. Uh, here in BC, we have a couple of functions. We uh, actually produce a lot of natural gas in the Northeast. Uh, we also transport uh, oil that is produced elsewhere in the country. And uh, overall, as a country, we have the world's lar- fourth largest moving reserves of these critical commodities. Uh, as we know, oil and gas, it's a fairly emissions-intensive industry. It uh, uses a lot of energy. It produces products that actually do contribute to emissions. And uh, for that reason, it's getting some additional scrutiny. But the very important thing to understand is that these are products that can't easily be phased out without serious implications for every aspect of how we live our lives. We ultimately really rely on fossil fuels. And we also know they're causing climate change. And uh, the fact that the vast majority of the world's energy needs are currently met by them means that the solutions to uh, climate change aren't you know, quite as simple as uh, some people would expect. Uh, there is that urgency. Uh, we're seeing this major gathering at COP28 in Dubai, the world's uh, largest uh, climate conference uh, every year, uh, to try to address this in light of a lot of what we saw this summer uh, and over the course of 2023 uh, as consequences of climate change. Uh, but... It's not something that can be done in one shot. There's a variety of uh, many policy tools that are being discussed and debated, and the one that the federal government has brought in um, actually changes the underlying framework um, quite a bit. So for a while, we've had a carbon pricing system. Provinces have been given the opportunity to structure it as they see fit, uh, provided that it meets this baseline set by the federal government. Uh, not every province has wanted to do that, uh, so the backstop has uh, rolled in in those cases. Um, but... Through their decision to pursue something called a cap-and-trade model uh, for the oil and gas sector, um, they're basically signaling that they don't think um, this model has uh, been working to fulfill kind of all the roles that they've set. So they're proposing to limit uh, emissions for oil and gas uh, at 35 to 38% below 2019 levels. Uh, 
which is less than the 40% target that uh, was previously anticipated in a 2022 uh, proposal that government put out for their emissions reduction plan. Um, so quite a lot there to unpack, but uh, those are essentially the, the key points. So far, what is the response looking like from industry and others? Can we expect the policy to substantially change as we go forward? Well, from those in the business of making oil, there is sizable concern about jurisdictional overreach. And uh, from those in the business of trying to shut down industry, uh, unsurprisingly, they don't think it goes far enough. And of the two mechanisms that were initially proposed, um, I would say it's fair to say that this one is a little bit more convoluted. Um, you know, it's it, it is going to limit industry. It will still add consumer costs. Uh, it does cause even more confusion around energy federalism, uh, and we can certainly expect for it to be challenged in court. Uh, we, you know, we've seen a number of uh, federal environmental policies recently get uh, uh, kiboshed, turfed, uh, seriously criticized by uh, judges across the country. Um, and this just comes down to the constitutional makeup of the country. Uh, you know, provincial governments have a tremendous amount of say over what goes on uh, with the uh, natural resource development uh, in their jurisdictions. They also uh, have a fair bit of say as a result on uh, the overarching environmental and climate goals. Um, so I, I don't anticipate that given the core differences in how economies across the country are managed and um, how the industries are structured and where the economic benefits for different regions of the country come from, um, that this will be something that will be easily resolved. In fact, I strongly expect that uh, this uh, policy will be a very large part of the discussion around the next federal election. Uh, the provinces are, at least in Western Canada, some of them are saying they're not happy with this. This is going to be a major limiting factor in the ability of their essential industries to succeed. Um, I'm sure they're going to play a big part in <laughs> advancing this narrative that uh, uh, continued uh, federal liberal government would not be good for, for their economic well-being. Um, so certainly expect to see that. Um, as far as some of the other pieces that um, uh, I'm seeing uh, within this specific uh, proposal and uh, ultimately what uh, industry is saying, I think there's uh, a, a lot of different things that need to be stacked on and layered. Um, so carbon pricing, you know, continuing uh, in other domains likely. Um, there's uh, a lot of debate about, um, you know, methane reduction pathways, carbon contracts for difference, um, you know, investment tax credits. Um, so a huge amount of, of different uh, mechanisms that are all being uh, effectively leveraged simultaneously and with not, not a lot of clarity about ways that you make them ultimately overall less competitive for industry. Uh, Canada's economy has a massive benefit uh, that it derives um, to workers, to communities, to our uh, tax base on every level uh, from having this industry functioning. Um, so there's a lot of concern here that if it's overly convoluted, um, there's too many, uh, you know, constituent parts um, that are hard to understand that uh, investors could start to pull back. Uh, and I'm worried that that could really have a, a large impact on our ability to uh, not only keep our economy strong uh, and functional and serving the interests of Canadians, but also our ability to invest in technologies that actually reduce emissions. Um, so, so that's the worry, that uh, that complexity would stall investment and would actually undermine some of the progress that Canada has made as a world-leading jurisdiction in the production of oil and gas products. And, of course, this news comes just as senior Canadian officials participate in the COP28 climate conference in Dubai this week. What's on the agenda there? Well, it feels to me a little bit like progress on um, international agreements on uh, climate seems to be 
stalling in a, in a weird kind of way. Uh, I've been monitoring this file for close to a decade now, um, you know, around uh, 2017, 2018. Um, I ended up uh, going and studying climate policy in the United Kingdom. And uh, around that time, there was a lot of debate about this 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius limit um, as, a, as a policy. Um, uh, to, to be adopted globally. Uh, you know, several years prior to that, uh, governments around the world had said they would try to limit global warming to 2 degrees Celsius. Uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, 2, what's 2? seems like a small amount, but that's average warming. Uh, land masses warm quicker than oceans. Um, you know, we, we, we would see quite a, a sizable uh, uh, increase in sort of maximum temperatures at that level. Um, and then uh, scientists... Uh, decided to explore what even 1.5 could look like. And there is a sizable impact difference there. Uh, but the real challenge is, is reaching that. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, if, if this wasn't something that implicated every single aspect of how we live our lives, you, know, you turn on a light switch and, you know, here in BC, sure, hydroelectric, uh, you know, is a big part of the, um, the the current that you see, but in many parts of the world, it's fossil fuels. Um, you know, you uh, get a package on your doorstep, comes from Amazon. Uh, in most cases, the, the driver's truck uh, is uh, actually one run fossil fuels. You go to work. Uh, if you've driven in a car, uh, chances are it's one that's powered by fossil fuels. Uh, you use petrochemicals in every aspect of your everyday life. So it's it's not as simple as saying, oh, we don't like this, let's just get rid of it. Um, and that's really, I'd say in a broad sense, uh, the challenges that uh, policy leaders globally are trying to resolve right now. What sort of sacrifices and compromises are we willing to make uh, in order to address climate change in a meaningful way? What is the uh, pace uh, and rate of change and transformation that uh, our economies are willing to accept, that consumers are willing to accept? Um, and they're willing to accept without limiting human development in areas of the world where it's still desperately needed. Um, so I don't know that we're going to see any huge new commitments or resolutions coming out of this, uh, but I hope, at least domestically, we see more recognition that Canada can be a solutions provider. Now, what are Canadians attending COP28 hoping to accomplish or signal? Well, this is a good time to mention that our CEO, Stuart Muir, is actually in attendance himself. And uh, he's there in a variety of functions. But um, I'd say the very important one is to really put the focus on and raise awareness of Canada's role as that solutions provider to the world. Uh, We've made considerable progress on reducing emissions, especially in oil and gas. Uh, I would say that of the producers that are out there right now in the world, um, we have some of the most stringent regulations not only on things like, um, you know, carbon and methane, uh, but actually more broadly on, uh, you know, social and governance dimensions, uh, how you manage local environmental concerns like uh, water and land and conservation targets and uh, migratory species. Um, we have a huge amount of uh, progress currently being made. It's still more to, to, to be made on working with indigenous communities uh, to ensure that they're meaningfully included in uh, not only land and uh, environmental management, uh, but also in economic opportunities. Um, so those are all to our credit as a country. Um, for a very long time, we have been selling to the United States as our main uh, customer for our oil and gas products, uh, in addition to producing a little bit for uh, domestic use. Um, and we've been exploring ways to serve the world's needs more broadly uh, by growing our exports uh, to economies and continents like Asia. Um, I think these are conversations that need to continue to happen, particularly as we look at products like liquefied natural gas, LNG, uh, coming off the coast of British Columbia. Um, and I hope that uh, Canadians uh, in attendance, uh, like Stuart and, uh, and many others, uh, friends who are there, um, can really tell the world that 
we're ready to be a solutions provider, and that that message can in turn resonate intensely here back in Canada. So decision makers see that um, we are part of the solution. We are part of addressing climate change, and we are part of meeting the world's energy needs sustainably, responsibly, and reliably. Mm-hmm. I think we all look forward to seeing especially how COP28 is going to wrap. A lot of people are checking this out. Margaret, as always, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You take care. You too. All the best.